This is number two, entitled, Christ the Lamb. A pastor was deeply troubled about his own personal battle with sin. Somehow he seemed to lack the moral courage to gain a victory. The struggle became so severe that when he went to sleep at night, he had a nightmare in which he saw a man whipping Christ in Pilate's judgment hall. Watching the lash, the lash as it buried itself in Christ's bleeding back, he could not stand to think of it, of anyone wounding the Lord Jesus. And in his dream, he rushed forward and seized the man and began to struggle with him. Suddenly, this brute of a man turned his face, and the pastor screamed in terror and awoke. For the face of this brute of a man was none other than that of the pastor himself. You see, in allowing sin to gain the mastery of his life, he was wounding the Lord Jesus Christ. It was an experience he would never forget. Now this story illustrates our text for this discussion. Found in Zechariah 12, verse 10. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. How terrifying the thought, crucifying the Lord afresh. How little do we realize the pain that we cause the Lord Jesus when we continue in our same sins. How little do we realize the disappointment that we heap upon our Lord when we do not gain victory. How unworthy we are of his great love. Isaiah told of this experience in Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 3. Jesus was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. For he was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. What a description! 
Did you notice those words rejected, despised, stricken, smitten, afflicted, wounded, bruised, oppressed? And then the statement, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, for he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Has the Apostle Paul considered this tremendous sacrifice of Christ? He marveled in amazement. And if we would look at the cross, we too would join Paul in these words found in Romans 8, 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How beautifully those words tell us of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Now when the Lord Jesus was baptized, John the Baptist declared in John 1, 29, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You know, from that very moment, the eyes of men began to focus on Christ. Every word Every act performed, performed in his three and one-half years of ministry, leading him to the cross, reveals him to be the Lamb of God. But in one sense, the sacrifice of Jesus did not commence at Calvary. For in the book of Revelation, we read that Christ was the Lamb of slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13.8. You see, God in his great love always knows the future, and he provided <clears throat> a plan of salvation before the world was created, before there was a world with sin. And that's why we read in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, the moment that sin entered the Garden of Eden, we are told that all heaven was filled with sorrow. The inhabitants of this world were doomed to death, and there appeared to be no escape. But God already had a plan which had been prepared in eternity, whereby if man should sin, he could be redeemed. You see, the divine law had been broken, but Christ, who is equal with God, would make an atonement for men's transgression. Christ would take upon himself the grief, the shame, and the sin 
and redeem man. Listen as Christ unfolds this mystery of redemption, as we find in that book, The Story of Redemption, page 42. Christ then made known to the angelic host that a way of escape had been made for lost man. He told them that he had been pleading with his father and had offered to give his life a ransom to take, to take the sentence of death upon himself, that through him man might find pardon, that through the merits of his blood and obedience to the law of God, they could have the favor of God and be brought into the beautiful garden and eat of the fruit of the tree of life. Such a plan is almost impossible to fully explain how God could love the sinner so much that he would die in the sinner's place. Paul declared it to be almost beyond knowledge. And you will find that throughout eternity to come, the redeemed with the angels of God will ever search to comprehend the mystery of such love. In the book of Revelation, we are given a picture of the angelic host standing in awe and wonder at the sacrifice of Christ. I'm reading from Revelations 5, 6. Behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. Notice that Christ is the center of attraction of all heaven. As they gathered around the slain lamb, and what were the results? Let me read on, verse 11. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessed in honor and glory and power, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. So we can see that the love of God is to be the central theme of study when we get to heaven. So, in this short study, we can only begin to understand the depth of this wonderful love and begin to see why God has chosen the sanctuary system as a kindergarten display to help us in our learning process. So, 
Now let's put on our thinking caps and answer this question. Why did Christ come to this earth to die? Now in the description of the heavenly sanctuary, which you find in the New Testament, it never mentions an outer court. Only in the earthly sanctuary do we find that there was an outer court. It was only in the earthly sanctuary that the outer court existed. And there is a reason for this. The sacrifice of Christ was not to take place in heaven, for there can be no death in heaven. Therefore, Christ must come to the court of this earth to be the Lamb, to die for our sins. This experience for Christ is almost beyond comprehension. Notice the words of Paul as he describes this in the Word of God, Philippians 2, 6-8. Christ, it tells us, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And when Christ was here, a death on the cross was the most terrible device that Satan could invent. Can you grasp it? Imagine Christ, who was equal with God, descending from heaven's purity to lower himself below the level of an angel, to become a man of our flesh, born a helpless babe in a manger, not a man like Adam was when he was formed in perfection, ah no, but a man after the consequences of 4,000 years of sin. And then consider the conditions of the earth, which was now filled with sorrow, misery, death, with every conceivable temptation. Then, when Christ's mission was to come to an end, he would be subjective, subjected to every insult and torture that Satan could conceive of, for he must die as a guilty sinner. His last hour would be so terrible that even the angels must veil their faces rather than look upon him. And finally, he must endure the anguish of the lost, of a soul <clears throat> that is separated from his father's love, while the guilt of the entire world rests upon him. And thus it was that history records for us, as we read in Luke 23, 33, and when they came to the place which is called Calvary, 
they crucified him. The gospel portrays how Christ died for us on the cross. And Ellen White paints an exact picture of what took place. Listen, Desire of Ages 755. The spotless Son of God upon the cross, his flesh lacerated with stripes, those hands so often reached out in blessing, nailed to wooden bars, those feet so tireless on ministries of love, spiked to a tree, that royal head pierced by the crown of thorns, those quivering lips shaped in a cry of woe. And all that he endured, the blood drops that flowed from his head, his hands, his feet, the agony that raked his frame, and the unutterable anguish that filled his soul at the hiding of his father's face speaks to each child of humanity, declaring, It is for thee that the Son of God consents to bear this burden of guilt. For thee, he spoils the domain of death and opens the gate of paradise. He who stilled the angry waves and walked the foam-capped billows, who made devils tremble, and disease to flee, who opened blind eyes and called forth the death to, dead to life, offers himself upon the cross as a sacrifice, and this from love to thee. He, the sin-bearer, endures the wrath of divine justice and for thy sake becomes sin itself. What words? Only if we could comprehend. Now the question. How is the precious blood of Christ applied to you and to me individually? Well, let us turn to Leviticus, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 27. For only the sanctuary explains in detail how the blood of Christ can be applied to us as individuals. I'm reading. If any one of the common people, that takes in you, doesn't it? And that takes in me. If any one of the common people sin through ignorance, while he doeth somewhat against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done and be guilty, now notice, observe exactly how the sacrifice was applied in the day of Moses. And remember, God's plan for our salvation never, never changes. So here we will study about a sinner who is in search for forgiveness. So let's note carefully the steps that he must take. What must this individual do to be successful so that God can separate 
the person from his sin. First, the sinner must bring a sacrifice. I'm reading verse 28. He shall bring his offering, a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he hath sinned. Now, in bringing the sacrifice, whether it was a kid of the goats, or of a lamb, or of any other animal, remember this. Remember that the sacrifice represented the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the sinner must transfer his sin to the sacrifice. Verse 29, he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering. You see, in this act of laying uh, his hands on the head is implied the confession and the transfer of the sin to the sinner's substitute. Now this truth is made more clear as you study of the national sacrifice performed by the high priest. Notice how it is explained here in Leviticus 16:21. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins putting them upon the head of the goat. Nothing could be more clearly stated that by confession and the placing of hands upon the substitute, the sinner can actually transfer his sin to the sacrifice. Then comes step number three. After the sin has been transferred to the sacrifice, the victim must be slain. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. For the broken law of God demands the penalty of death. As you read in Leviticus 4.29, he shall lay his hand upon the head of the sin offering, and then it says, and slay the sin offering. You see, it is through this method that God taught men that there was a way of escape from sins. A substitute, the Lamb of God, could die for our sins. But remember, it was the sinner's hand that was always to slay the sacrifice. And every sinner must comprehend this great truth before he is ready for heaven. For sin demands death. You see, our sins must be paid for in death. Since Christ is our substitute, we are each responsible for taking the life of the victim, Christ. It is only when we realize the enormity of the cost of sin that we determine through God's power to overcome sin with a hatred that is akin to God. And then, and then only, are we fitted to live in a land 
where there will be no more sin. But how few seem to grasp this lesson. You see, the world is filled today with ideas of how to become a better world. We hear of improvements that are discussed from the pulpits of the land. But the major problem is sin, the very root of every evil. And only the Church of God knows how to get rid of sin. Every idea of utopia that bypasses the sin problem will fail. Only God can solve the problem. And the sanctuary explains exactly how this is done. The trouble is, this generation today thinks it has discovered a better way. So they try by the use of tranquilizers, dope, LSD, pot, alcohol, you name it. People take these things to cover up their feelings of guilt. But not one of these evils can help to dodge the real truth. For as soon as an individual returns to normal consciousness, he discovers that he is still faced with his sins. There is only one way, and that way is by the blood of the Lamb of God. Hebrews 9.22 All things are by the law purged with blood, for without the shedding of blood there is no remission. So the sacrificial offerings were ordained by God to teach each sinner that seriously desired forgiveness that he must acknowledge his sin, he must repent of his sin, he must bring his sin to Christ and ask Christ to take his sin, he must acknowledge his part in the crucifixion of Christ, he must realize that sin causes death. He must accept Christ by faith and he must take hold of divine power. Instead of loving sin, he must hate the sin. Thereby, he will stop sinning through the power of God and rejoice in his redemption. But we must consider this plan of redemption, that it had a much broader and deeper purpose than the salvation of mankind. For Christ came to this earth to die, not just to save man and to ransom the world, but he came to vindicate the character of God before the universe. Because the great conflict between good and evil began in heaven itself. And God's love and God's law had been challenged in heaven. That is where the war in heaven began. You read about this in Revelation, the 12th chapter, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angel fought against the dragon. 
and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Every being throughout the entire universe of God was interested in the outcome of Christ's sacrifice. For this would determine whether God or Satan would be victorious. And this is why the Savior looked forward to his crucifixion when he said while he was alive in John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Thus it was that Christ's death on Calvary not only made it possible for man to be forgiven and heaven to be accessible to him, but it would also justify God before the entire unfallen universe. It would establish the law of God forever and testify to the fact that sin, sin is death. Lucifer, once the bright and shining angel, had questioned the law of God. He had tried to prove unjust, that God's law was faulty, and for the good of the universe, it must be changed. By such attacks on the law of God, Satan hoped to overthrow the authority of its author. So, after Satan was cast out of heaven, his aim was to capture this earth and to control it as his kingdom. When Adam and Eve accepted his proposition, Satan declared this world to be his because they had chosen him as their ruler. You see, Satan did not believe that it was possible for God to ever forgive man. But God's love had already provided a way by giving his only begotten son to pay the death penalty for our sin. Thus the Lamb of God became the way of escape and available to every member of mankind. This very earth that was claimed by Satan became a theater in which God has chosen to redeem man and to justify himself before all of the universe. This is the meaning of Christ's last words on the cross, John 19, 30. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. At that moment, there was a shout of triumph that rang throughout every world in the universe. The contest had been decided 
and Jesus had won. Satan had revealed himself as a liar and a murderer. Christ in human flesh had proved that man can keep the law of God. Little wonder that the greatest excitement the universe has ever known was the moment when Jesus Christ triumphed over Satan when he died on Calvary's cross. And someday, someday very soon, Jesus is coming back to this earth again. And the final act in this controversy between Christ and Satan will soon be over. Are you ready for the greatest adventure of your life? Are you ready to live with Christ in heaven where there will be no more sin, no more death, where every moment will be filled with joy and peace and happiness? Are you ready to experience that kind of a life for eternity? If so, you must conquer sin here and now as demonstrated in the sanctuary system. Some time ago, the newspapers told of a story of a little girl who had been playing in the garage where she found a pop bottle. It looked just like the one that contained the kind of drink that her mother occasionally gave her from the refrigerator. She took the bottle and drained the fluid to the last drop. It didn't taste quite like she had expected, but in her childish thinking, she thought it was some new kind of drink. But soon she began to experience terrible pain in her stomach. She ran to mother and complained. Her mother rushed her to the hospital, but help was too late. The little girl paid with her life, for the substance in the bottle was not soda pop, as the little girl had thought, but it was deadly weed poison. You know, sin is just like weed killer. It seems that many of us do not realize that we are already poisoned with sin, and that we will die from its deadly killer. Many of us have friends who have died from cancer who might have been cured if they had detected it soon enough for proper treatment. But when it was discovered, it was too late. It's the same way with the disease of sin. So many congratulate themselves on their good works and they say, surely, surely the Lord will not refuse to save me. But there is only one thing that is certain. God cannot and God will not save anyone unless he recognizes his sinfulness and comes to God in repentance and asks for forgiveness. Acts 4.12 states it plainly. There is, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
but thank God, God has provided a way of escape. And that way, friend, is through Jesus Christ, the Lamb. He is ready to help you this very moment. Why, it tells us in Revelation 3.20 that he says, I stand at the door, the door of your heart. He says, and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. And just now, he is knocking at your heart's door. He wants to come in, friend. How will you answer his knocking? Somehow I'd like to appeal to three different classes of individuals I know who are listening to this tape. First, there is that someone who has never surrendered his heart fully to Jesus. Will you do it now, this very moment? As you have beheld Jesus dying on the cross for you in our study, you know, you have known sin in your heart and you have never accepted Christ's death for you. Why don't you bow your head just now and whisper to Jesus, Lord, I surrender all to your love. Give him your heart this very minute. He will accept you. And then I would like to talk to that someone who is listening, who at one time closely followed the Lord Jesus. But like Peter, during his trial, you are now following Christ afar off. You are walking apart from Jesus. You are walking in the way of the world. Face the matter squarely right now. Don't be a backslider. You don't like that word? Listen. Some of the sweetest words ever written in the Bible were written just for you. In Hosea 14.4 it said, I will heal your backsliding. I will love you freely, for mine anger is turned away. Isn't that just like Jesus? He wants to forgive you. Won't you come to the Lamb just now and take him as your life anew and say from your heart, Lord, Lord, I'm coming home. Save me. You know, Christ has never failed to answer such a sincere prayer with full forgiveness and acceptance. And lastly, I want to appeal to those of you who are now walking with Jesus, but you want to have a closer walk. As you reach out in faith, you want to know he is grasping your hand tighter than ever and that he will never let it go. So speak to him and tell him you want this experience. Listen, he will say, 
I have redeemed thee. And then in Jude 24 comes that wonderful promise. Unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Oh, may you never cease to wonder at the Lamb of God who can take away all of our sins. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, somewheres around this world, someone who had never given his heart to thee before has done it. Take him, Lord, in your arms and cleanse that heart of his and give him the full assurance that someday, like the thief on the cross, he can be with you in paradise. And Lord, somewhere listening to this tape was that individual who for some reason has been following the world but heard your call, your knock at the door, and they have come home. They've come to you. Lord, put your arms around them. Forgive them, take their sin, and cleanse them. And Lord, there are so many of us listening to this tape. Jesus, give us new victory in our life. Give us divine power. Give us a hatred for evil. Help us, Lord, and we will give thee all the praise and the glory, for thou indeed are the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Amen. And so, friend, may I ask you to listen to the next tape in this series, which is entitled, Christ the Priest. Number three, you will hear an exciting story of the atoning work which Jesus Christ is now doing for you in the heavenly sanctuary.